The woods. They seem to be so mysterious to mankind. What is it about the shadows just beyond the tree line that freaks us out so much? Welcome back to the swamp my friends and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and downright strange deep woods horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, be sure to double slap that like button to make sure it really felt it, and be sure to subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and downright strange deep woods horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. What Park Rangers and the Great Smokies Won't Tell You by Horror Writer 1717 I was a park ranger in the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. It wasn't a bad job. The scenery was amazing. I loved to drive up Klingman's Dome Overlook and watch the sunrise. Anytime there was a thunderstorm, I headed for that overlook. One of the best things about the job is the autonomy. Being left alone to do whatever you want is kind of excellent, but it doesn't come without its downside. This park is massive, over a million acres and 11 million people visit annually. I found out the hard way why the park closes at night though. If you've never driven through the Great Smokies on a cloudy moonless night, you've never experienced true soul-crushing darkness. Do you know those extremely bright LED lights that so many trucks have on the front of their grill blind you when they drive towards you? Yeah. Our trucks don't have those. We have regular lights. The old, dull, yellow glow. The ones that make you wonder if your battery is going dead or if you'd be better off shining a flashlight ahead of you because you would probably see more that way. The AM radio in the Ranger truck spews out static-filled country garbage. It would be easy just to turn it off, but sometimes I feel like it's my only company on the endless black ribbon of road that runs through this sea of darkness. One thing this job gives you plenty of is time to think. And sometimes that's not always a good thing. I slam on my brakes to avoid hitting a deer. It glances at me, then continues to strut across the road in no hurry. You're welcome! I yell out my window. The deer doesn't even pause. I swear the animals around here think they own the place. <laughs> I think that with a chuckle. Just to make my life more interesting, it starts to snow. In ordinary places, that's not much of a problem. In this pitch black mountain, it could quickly become an issue. It usually doesn't snow here, but there's a call for concern when it does. Most times, it's a freak occurrence and comes fast and heavy. This time is no exception. Within minutes, the road is covered. Already low visibility has been reduced to nearly zero. And of course, it starts when I'm furthest away from the station, right in the middle of nowhere. I slow to a crawl, knowing it will take me forever to get back, but at least I'll get there in one piece instead of sliding off a mountain to my fiery, gory death. I hope... I turn on my windshield wipers in a futile attempt to keep visibility. They work almost as well as the radio, honestly. The defroster and the wipers fight a losing battle against the onslaught of snow. I would just pull over and wait it out, but out here I don't want to end up buried in snow for days waiting for someone to come plow me out. Each station has one snow plow. I don't remember when it was used last. Suddenly, I look out the front of the truck and remember that I am actually driving the only truck with the mount for the plow. Translation, I need to get back because there's no one coming to get me. As that positive thought rattles through my head, I come to a turn I see just in the nick of time. 
I have just enough time to wrench the wheel hard to the right and stay on the road. My tires and the deepening snow disagree on which way the truck is going and I end up sliding toward the edge. I jump on the brakes in a panic, causing them to join the direction argument. In the end, momentum wins. I slide closer to the rail that I know won't keep me from diving hundreds of feet to my death. I'd love to say that my life flashed before me, but all I could do was see that damn snow. I'm going to die surrounded by irritatingly blinding white snow. With nothing else to do, I close my eyes and pray. Time slows as I begin to bargain with my maker. The usual stuff. I'll be better. I'll give my life to the church. I'll become a priest, a missionary, whatever you freaking want as long as you save my life. I felt a heavy thump. This is it, I think. I'm going over the edge. As a desperate last-ditch thought, I opened my door and threw myself out into the road. I land hard, like a belly flopper on asphalt. The wind escapes my chest and refuses to come back. I lay there rocking back and forth in the cold on the white road, hoping that, by some bizarre twist of fate, someone else doesn't come along and run me over. Seconds turn to minutes as I lay there watching the snow in its relentless downpour, waiting for my breath to return. Eventually, I come around and painfully rise to my feet. The truck sits idling as if nothing has happened. I reach in and put it in park, feeling embarrassed and stupid for getting myself in such a panic. I grab my flashlight and go to the front of the truck to see the damage. I'm surprised to find the front bumper sitting four feet from the rail. I know I hit something, I say to myself, examining the fence and finding it undamaged. I turn the light to my bumper and find it's been bent slightly at the end. My light flashes back and forth between the entire guardrail and the damaged bumper. What the hell? As my brain wraps around this puzzle, another piece falls into place. I see patches of hair on the bumper and red in the snow. As I pursue the matter, I know the imprint of a large animal lying in the snow in front of my truck is probably not the best idea to investigate. I pull out my phone and take a picture. The impression it made was massive. This thing is at least as tall as the car is vast, even more significant. Great, I hit a bear. I say sarcastically. I sigh as I see the trail of red heading off into the trees beside the road. Guess I should go check on it. I return to my truck, grab my coat and the keys, then head after my quarry. The red is becoming difficult to track through the deepening snow. The tracks themselves seem odd. They're too close together. It's almost like as if this bear is walking on its hind legs. But why would it do that? Did it hurt its paw or something? I approach the edge of the woods, still following the red tracks. I don't want to go too far into the woods. I'm hoping I can catch a quick glimpse of the bear alive and well, looking a paw, but otherwise okay. Trekking through the dark woods in a snowstorm isn't part of the plan to keep me alive long enough to retire. As I follow the tracks further, I notice something else about them. They don't look like bear's tracks. If I would say they look like anything, I'd say more like large dog tracks. But they're way too big to be any normal dog I've ever seen. Even for a Malamute or a St. Bernard, these are massive. I step into the woods not intending to go much further, and a flash and flash the light around a little bit. I notice the path continues going slightly uphill. <laughs> nope, I say. Not tonight. I turn and head back to the truck when I hear a low, guttural growl. I slowly turn around and see red glowing eyes staring at me from behind a tree. I shine the light in the direction and see that there are tracks that lead right up to a tree that hides all but the eyes of this creature. It's massive. The eyes must be eight feet off the ground. I've never seen anything like this, and I still haven't seen it just the eyes at this point. In my terrified stupor, I do the least likely thing possible. 
I pull out my phone and take a picture. The flash makes it blink but also appears to make it even more angry. It starts toward me. I would love to say that I was calm, relaxed, and collected as I returned to my vehicle and was on my merry way, but that didn't happen at all. I screamed and turned to run, but my boots were slippery and I fell, nearly hitting my head on a rock. As I gain traction and speed, I hear heavy footsteps behind me. No need to turn and look, I know what's coming after me. Oh dear god, oh dear god, oh dear god, oh dear god. I know I'm not going to make it. I do the one thing I don't want to do. I glance back. A massive mound of fur is galloping toward me, its red eyes glowing with malice. It's coming so fast that it'll overtake me at any second. No matter how fast I try to go, there's no way I'm going to get to my truck. My panicked mind runs through a myriad of options. From just give up to turn and command it to stop to throw the flashlight hoping it will fetch it and give you time to get inside the car. The moment of truth arrives. I'm almost to the truck but I can feel its hot breath going down my neck at this point. I'll never make it around the corner. I'll try to think back to all those dinosaur movies I've seen and how they escaped. My mind reminds me that many of them ended up as a dino snack before the film was done. I sarcastically thank my brain for the happy thought and chose the one tactic that the movies always seemed to show to be successful. I slid under the truck. I'm barely on the ground until I hear a loud bang. The car lurches to the side. A massive snout shoves itself far under the truck as it can and it sniffs. I try to ease my way out from under the car, but, but the nose disappears and reappears on the other side. This time, there are also claws pawing at me, trying to get a hold of me. I shimmy away from them, only to have them show up on the other side. Back and forth we go, like a demented seesaw. Front, back, sides, wherever I go, it's right there trying to grab me. After an eternity of this game, it tries something new. The paws disappear, and I feel the truck springs compress. It's climbed on top of the truck. Shoot. Now can see no matter where I go. I test my theory by shining my flashlight toward the back of the truck. It instantly appears and tries to shove its snout under, snapping at me. I push further toward the front. It returns to its vanguard on top of the truck. I lay as still as possible for an eternity, trying not to move, barely breathing, hoping it will lose interest in me and return to the woods. My waiting game ends when I realize the snow is almost up to the level of the truck's frame. I'm going to lose visibility soon. I know I need to do something. I come up with a desperate and stupid plan. I shine my light at the back of the truck, causing the creature to jump down and claw at me. At the same time, I dig some snow away from the front of the car to regain visibility. Then I do the same in reverse. I shine the light at the front and dig at the back. Next, I execute the most desperate and stupid part of my plan. I threw the lit flashlight toward the front of the car and it bounces near the guardrail and, for a moment, it looks like it's going to hit and bounce back. I freeze in fear as it takes one more bounce then disappears over the side. The creature leaps down but doesn't shove its snout under the truck. It jumps the guardrail and disappears. I gasp in astonishment that my plan has worked. I lay there and marveled for a second. Then my mind kicks my ass. What the hell are you still lying here for? Get in the truck! I jump up hitting my head on the car's underside, then roll up on the driver's side, yank on the door and of course it's locked. I fumble with my keys just like I've seen in every horror movie ever. I wondered how those people could suddenly forget how to use a key, and now I know. After several failed attempts, I finally opened the door and threw myself inside. I started it up, slammed it into reverse, and hit the gas and nearly did a complete 360 as the tires fight for traction in the snow that has accumulated around. I take a deep breath and compose myself before giving it a little gas, just enough to get moving and get myself back on the road. This leads me to my next problem. The road is gone. All that remains is a blanket of white. 
Sweat forms on my brows I start down the road, steering by measuring the distance of the trees to the bank spot that used to be a road. I crawl down the mountain this way, slowing to a near stop whenever there is a curve. Unfortunately, it's the Smoky Mountain, so it's all curves. An hour later, I'm no closer to the station. However, a minor miracle happens. The snow stops. I'm so ecstatic I'm nearly jumping in my seat. I might even make it home alive. I glanced in my rearview mirror and those hopes are dashed instantly. In the distance, I see glowing red eyes, and they are getting closer. My veins turn to ice as I press down on the accelerator. After sliding through a turn, barely remaining in control of the vehicle, I realize I can't outrun it. I slow, but only a little bit. On the few straight spots in the road, I speed up, but then slow down when I get to a curve. Consecutive stretches are the only time I can afford a glance in the mirror. Each time I do, the eyes are still there, and they are a bit closer. I inch closer to the station, clinging to the desperate hope that I can make it there before this thing catches and devours me. I look at my odometer and realize I'm only five miles from the station. It might as well be a million. I sigh. As I look back and see the eyes have become considerably more significant. There's a sharp turn coming up. I know I have to slow down for it. I know that things will catch up when I do. I also know there's a steep drop-off at this turn. I'm stuck. No matter what I do, it's going to end badly. I do what has to be done. I slow down enough to keep from sliding off the edge. When I straighten out, I glance back and the eyes are gone. Could it have slipped off the edge? My hopes rise and then suddenly plummet as I see the red eyes beside me. The monster is running beside the truck. It slams into the door, making a considerable dent. It hits again and shatters the window. Its snout dives in and snaps at me. As the snarling, snapping jaws of a death inch closer, I duck in- As the snarling, snapping jaws of death inch closer, I duck into the passenger seat. I do the only thing I can think of. I slam on the brakes. The unprepared monster goes flying forward as I slide to a stop. It shakes itself and stands, growling at me and baring its teeth. I jump on the gas pedal to get as much speed as possible to run it over. The truck leaps in the air as the tires pass over the massive monster. I don't slow down until I have to. After I make it through the curve, I look back and don't see the glowing eyes. I hazard a glance out the window and see nothing but snow. I can't trust the quiet. I'm so paranoid, I'm shaking, and at this point I think I'd rather see the blasted beast just to know where it was rather than this ungodly suspense. After a few minutes and many more glances back, I finally let myself relax. I'm only a mile away from the station, and I can't believe I made it. The truck explodes from impact. I feel like a bulldozer has rear-ended me. I wrestle with the steering wheel as I'm hit again. The car is moving faster even though I'm standing on the brakes. I look back and see the monster. It's pushing me. I look forward and see the guardrail crumple underneath my front bumper. The truck slides over the edge. It's not the steepest ravine in the park, but it doesn't need to be. The, the car falls end over end, then starts turning and rolling. It all happened so quickly, I never took the time to fasten my seatbelt. I'm thrown around like a rag doll. By some miracle, I stayed inside the truck. I don't know how long I was unconscious, but I woke to heavy footsteps and snarling. I'm lying sideways under what's left of the back seat. The truck is on its roof, and I'm lying in a puddle of glass and blood. The monster sticks its snout through in the shattered window and leers at me with its glowing red eyes. I try to crawl away, but my leg is bent at an unnatural anger, probably broken. Pain shoots through me as I try to use my arm to push out. Ultimately, I realize there's no escape. No fight left in me, I lay there and waited for the inevitable. It sniffs at me and drool drips from its mouth as its putrid breath assaults me. This is it. I close my eyes and wait. Nothing happens. I open my eyes and... It's gone. 
I painfully turn to see if it's playing some game, but I can't find it. What the hell happened to you? Says one of my fellow rangers as he sticks his face into the window. How is all I can manage? Looks like you're about to be the luckiest son of a bitch I've ever seen, he says. You must have rolled off the road up there and landed on this road down here. A few more feet and you would have been headed for another tumble. I lay there waiting for something else to happen. This is a dream, I think. I'm dreaming of being rescued while the monster chews me into pieces. Let's get you to a hospital, the ranger says. I wake up in a hospital bed. My right arm and left arm are each in a cast. It hurts to breathe. I'm pretty sure there are some broken ribs. The door opens and another ranger steps inside. I see they got you all fixed up, he chuckles. What happened to you out there? Did you fall asleep at the wheel? I think about what I should tell him. I wonder how much he would believe, and then I remember. Phone, I rasp. He reaches into the pocket and pulls out his phone. I shake head painfully. No, my phone. He searches through my bag with all my clothes and pulls out my phone with several cracks on the screen. Pictures, I rasp. He opens the screen and navigates to the pictures. He looks at the last one and says, Well, ain't that something, he says. I'm so glad he sees it. I can tell my story and have proof of everything I see. He turns the phone towards me. All I see in the picture is white. The flash was on. The snow wiped out the monster's image. He scrolls back to the other view of the creature's imprint, but the flash in the snow also washes it out. I'm devastated. I know what I saw and I know it's real. Isn't it? I turn away. I'll let you go so you can rest up, he says, then walks out the door. I'm not crazy, I saw it. A month later, I'm feeling a lot better. My arm and leg and ribs are all on the mend. I filled out my accident report. I didn't mention anything about a creature. My slipping caused a crash of the snowy road, and that's how I left it. I wish I could say that I've improved mentally, that I have had less nightmares, that I don't look out the window every night and see glowing red eyes staring back at me from the woods. But I can't say that, because it would be a lie. I know it's going to hunt me down one day. I know it's waiting for me. I used to be a park ranger, and I discovered something disturbing in the woods. By Horror Writer 1717 I'm sharing this as a warning. There are things out there that you don't know about, and you don't want to know about them either. Stay away from them. Don't go looking for them. I'll tell you my story in hopes that it will quench your curiosity. It was a night just like any other night, at least lately. I had barely arrived at the ranger station and we had four calls of vacationers' homes that were getting broken into. Here in the West Virginia Wildlife Preserve, people think that just because they plant some houses, the animals should know how to respect boundaries. That's tough when the animals were on a massive plot of land where they have never been hunted or threatened by anything other than a giant animal. Folks seem to think this is a great vacation spot for them. They don't realize it's also a great vacation spot for the animals as well. I hopped in the company truck and started toward my first destination of the night. An elderly couple had been terrorized by a deer that apparently broke through a sliding glass door. They managed to trap it in a side room and needed help releasing it. I got elected. When I got there, the vacationers looked like the ones caught in the headlights. They were still wide-eyed, and I could tell they were in some sort of shock. I had to get them into another room and close the door. Once they were out of the way, I found the closest entrance to the outside and opened it. Then I went to the room the deer was in. I slowly opened the door and was shocked to find the room covered in blood. The deer was lying on the floor panting. 
I approached it slowly, circling to open the doorway, hoping to give it an escape route. The closer I got, the more I realized this deer wasn't going anywhere. Its side was covered with claw marks. At first, I thought and pondered that potentially a coyote had attacked it, but the effects were far too devastating. They were large enough to be caused by a bear, but the individual claw marks were far too apart. I'd never seen anything like this. If I had to compare it to something, I'd say Freddy Krueger sliced it up. When I approached it, the deer's eyes went wide, but it didn't jump up and run. I took this as a bad side. Its breath came in ragged gasps as I struggled to roll it over. Once I did, it was my turn to struggle to breathe. Its entire side was torn to shreds, but that wasn't the worst part. There was a large chunk that was missing. I examined the wounds and found a bite mark where the missing flesh should have been. But the bite marks were massive. If it didn't challenge the claw, if it didn't challenge the laws of nature and my sanity, I would have said a shark bit it. But blood poured out of the side and the deer struggled to draw breath. I stood and left the room, leaving the poor creature to have some sort of dignity in a private death. When I went back in, it was still. I took pictures with my cell phone and tried my best to carry the creature out without making much of a mess. After loading it on the back of my truck, I went back inside and talked to the vacationers. When I opened the door to their room, the woman's eyes grew wide and she started screaming. The man's eyes were the size of saucers as well. I approached them slowly with my arms outstretched to try to calm them down. It seemed to have the opposite effect. They started climbing the furniture and clawing at the walls to escape me. I decided to back away and give them some room. What's wrong? I said. The man pointed a shaky finger at me. You, you, you're covered in blood, he said. The deer got you, the woman said. You've got rabies or, or worse, the man said, keeping his distance. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, I said. This is the deer's blood. You killed it just for breaking in, the woman said. No, it was already injured. I just took it to my truck. The couple seemed to settle down and considered this. So you don't have rabies, the man said slowly looking me up and down, or anything else, the woman said hiding behind her husband. No, ma'am, I'm fine. She took her turn eyeing me up and down, I assumed looking for wounds. Satisfied, they asked me a few questions. So, what killed the deer? The man said. I actually have no idea, I said truthfully. Having just gotten them calmed down, I didn't want to send them back into a panic with some sort of conspiracy theory. It was probably just a coyote, I said. A coyote? the man said, diving back into the pool of panic. Or a bear, I said, trying and failing to calm them. A bear, the woman said, diving after her husband. You know, folks, you've had a traumatic night, I said. I can't tell you what to do, but if I were you, we're leaving, the woman said, dragging her husband out of the room. That sounds like a good idea, I said. And then, like an idiot, I added, I hope you enjoyed your stay. They either didn't hear me or ignored me. Either way, it wasn't long before I heard a car start and roar away from the house. I went back into the room where the deer had been trapped and started working backward, trying to find out just what had happened. It wasn't hard to pick up the trail. It had been bleeding badly. Seeing the bites and claw marks made that fairly obvious. I tracked back through the kitchen and through the smashed glass door. Once outside, I turned my flashlight on. The trail was a little hard to follow outside, but not too much. I could still see drops of blood beside its tracks and I followed them back toward the pond behind the house. I approached the pond and saw signs of a struggle. This must have been where the deer was initially attacked. There were other tracks with the deer, but they didn't make any sense to me. 
They were large, much too large to be any animals I knew. Their shape was odd as well. If I had to call them anything, I would have called them duck prints. But massive. More significant than any duck by any means. A giant duck with shark teeth. I think I'll leave that out of my reports, I thought to myself. It suddenly struck me that the tracks were potentially a man with swim fins on his feet. But why? Why go through all that trouble to poach a deer when you can just knock it out with a tranquilizer gun? My mind sent me an answer, but I didn't like it. What if the man is a psychopath, just getting his kicks off by killing animals with his bare hands? I thought about that. There is a mental hospital in the neighboring county, and I wondered if maybe one of their patients had taken an unsanctioned leave of absence and was trying to keep it quiet. I didn't like the thought of that at all, actually. Aside from the fact that it didn't really explain the huge bites on the deer, it also meant we had someone who might suddenly get a taste for killing humans. Doing this to animals was horrible, but what if you decided to do something... bigger? I looked at the house, wondering how many vacations were within a short walk from this spot and how many were harmed. As I contemplated the safety of the people in the area, I heard something behind me. I whipped around and shone my light but saw nothing. I scanned the pond and saw a few ripples emanating from the middle. Probably just a fish jumping. I took some more pictures of the struggle area on my phone and then started tour by truck. I had more calls to answer, and this riddle would have to wait for now. I drove away and went around the lake, around three miles away, to the other vacation home where a break-in had been reported. When the woman in her thirties answered the door, she stepped back. Uh, oh my, she said, looking at the dry blood all over my uniform. Good evening, ma'am. Sorry about my appearance, I said. Did you report a break-in? Yes, we did. Please come in, she said in a friendly tone, yet gave me a wide berth while closing the door. She led me upstairs to the kitchen. For some reason, I was expecting to find blood all over, like the last house. For some reason, I was expecting to find blood all over, like the last house. However, this was a completely different mess. She showed me the door. It had been forced open, but not shattered like the last one. There was also only a tiny amount of glass broken. Then the door latch was unlocked, and the door slid open. There were three faint images of giant duck tracks, just like the last house. My spine turned to ice. This house was over three miles away from the other. Many more people in that space might have fallen victim to this crazed person or whatever. The woman showed me the rest of the kitchen and the mess that was left. A few cans of sardines and some cans of tuna fish had been opened and eaten. The strange thing was how they were opened. The cans had been torn into with something sharp but not a can opener. The marks looked like they were torn open with claws. I shuddered to imagine the amount of strength it took to do something like that. And then I spotted it. Beside one of the cans was a small puddle of blood. Ma'am, could I trouble you for a sandwich bag? I said. She handed me one and I carefully tried to scrape as much blood into it as possible. I sealed it, put it in my pocket, and then went to the broken door. Behind the house, just like most of these vacation houses, there was a pond. I traced the tracks to it and they disappeared at the water line. I shone my light over the water, but the only thing I saw was a stray turtle. I stared at it for a long time as though it would give me a clue about what was happening. What should we do? The woman said, nearly scaring me half to death. I hadn't heard her follow me out the door and into the yard. I'll send someone around to look at the door in the morning, I said. In the meantime, it might not be a bad idea to sleep in a room with a door lock. I'm sure they won't be back, but just in case. She didn't seem very comforted by that idea, but thanked me as I left. The following two reports were just teenagers breaking in and stealing beer. That was it. No bloody wildlife, no weird tracks, just kids being kids. 
I returned to the station, changed out of my bloody uniform, and spent the rest of the night filling out reports on what happened. When my shift was over, I passed on what had happened, I took a little trip to the neighboring county, I stopped at the mental hospital and asked if they had any recent escapes. The nurse looked at me and I asked her if she was wearing deodorant. We don't have escapes, she said with evident pride that showed some arrogance. I thanked her and left feeling less than satisfied with her answer. Next, I stopped at the local police department and asked one of my friends in the force if they could analyze the blood sample for me. I thought there might be an escaped resident from the mental hospital, and the blood sample might help us find out who it was and track them down. It was well past noon until I got to bed. The night when I got to work, it was pandemonium. There had been more break-ins, and people were panicking. The owner of the resort was frantic. People were canceling left and right and wanting their money back. He stormed his pudgy face right up to mine when I walked in. You told people to go home? He fumed, glaring up at me. I merely suggested, do you want to pay their rental out of your salary? I work for the state, not you, I said. He turned a deeper shade of red. Would you rather see people in body bags instead of animals? I said. That wouldn't do much for business now, would it? He turned the fire engine red and stormed out mumbling. We'll see. I investigated five break-ins that night. Only two of them were legit. The rest seemed like half-hearted attempts to stage a break-in so they could get out of paying for their rental. The two real ones shared the same characteristics as before. Just enough of a broken window to open the door. The cans of whatever seafood was available. They even got shrimp out of the freezer. Everything about the way the intruder acted pointed to a person. All I needed to know was who it was. Again, I followed the tracks back to the nearby pond. I stood for a long time studying the surface of the water. I knew these ponds were all designed the same. A roughly 40-yard body of water, around 5 feet deep in the middle, stocked with mostly bluegill for catch-and-release fishing. Anyone using these ponds to hide would have to be holding their breath for inhuman periods. I stared at the surface for 20 minutes. If someone was out there, they had an invisible snorkel or an extra set of lungs. After my round of investigating and reporting, I decided to stick around to do a little bit of extra investigating. I ran home, grabbed my swim trunks, mask, and snorkel, and went to the site of the most recent break-in. I waded into the water, unsure of what I would find. When a snake slithered past me, I let it go and waded deep enough to where I could swim. I hovered at the surface level, dipping my mask under the water to get a glimpse of whatever there was to see. There wasn't much, fish, underwater plants, and a lot of water. Just what you would expect from a pond. As I kept going towards the middle, the water was getting deeper. I now couldn't touch the bottom. I had to float to the surface, looming in front of me was a dark spot at the bottom of the pond. I took it for a rock but swam close enough to investigate anyway. In for a penny, in for a pound. As I drew closer enough to hover over it, I realized it wasn't a rock. I took a deep breath and dove down to find out what it was. The further I swam down, the different I could swim down. I kept going and going. Light disappeared. I was sure I had been swimming straight down for a solid minute without touching the bottom. I turned and looked up, the surface of the pond was only a pinprick of light. My lungs screamed at me to turn around, I had no choice but to comply. I clawed at the water in desperation, it seemed like I was swimming in mud, or something was pulling me down. Almost like a force of current pushing against me, wanting me to go down before I could finally explore this hidden secret. After an eternity I broke the surface of the water and gasped for air. I swam over to the shallows and walked out of the pond. I collapsed on the shore and laid there for a long time, trying to regain my breath. As my brain received oxygen, I thought about what had happened. 
Maybe it had been some sort of illusion, or maybe I had just gotten turned around and somehow stuck at the bottom. I had to find out. I wasted no time driving two countries over and renting some dive equipment and light. So, armed and ready, I returned to the pond and walked over to the middle again. This time, when I dove toward the dark spot, I could see exactly what it was. I used the flashlight and examined the darkness. As I swam more profoundly, the sides closed in on me as if it were going down into like a fish's gullet. I had never been claustrophobic before, but that was rapidly changing. I barely had any room to maneuver as the sides closed in. I contemplated turning around, but there was no room. I could feel myself start to panic. I had to focus on keeping my breaths regular. I was very close to a panic attack when suddenly the tunnel opened up again. The sides grew further apart. I checked my watch and I had been only here for about 15 minutes. The sides of the tunnel had spread out so far they were barely visible. I could see the light ahead of me. I swam toward it, desperate to get out of this water. I broke through the surface looking around I was in the pond. Somehow I had gotten turned around and was back in the pond. I swam to the side until I could stand and walked out onto the shore. Looking around, I made a startling discovery. I was in a pond alright, but it wasn't the same pond. It was a different pond from one of the break-ins. Somehow, there was a hidden tunnel between the two ponds. That's how the robber never gets caught. He swims to the next pond, slick as snot, no fuss, no muss. I now knew the how, but I still needed to learn more. As tempting as it was to swim back through that tunnel, I was still a little shaken and didn't want to risk any sort of underwater panic attack. I walked back to my truck, took off my diving equipment, and drove back to the dive shop. I asked about frequent customers, especially for refilling air tanks. They told me they had a few regulars that came in every weekend, but no one knew, and no one who refilled more than once a week. I asked if there were other dive shops in the area, and they told me the next closest one was about 100 miles away. I went home frustrated. It wasn't making any sense. He would need air to swim back and forth through the tunnel, which was his escape route. I was sure of it. I tried to sleep through the afternoon, but my mind wouldn't let me rest. It was working at an impossible puzzle of how a robber was getting air. I borrowed a couple of trail cams and set one up at each pond. I needed to see if he had some new tank system or something. I also wanted to identify him and shut him down fast. I made sure to stay away from those ponds that night so he would feel free to do his thing. In the morning, I gathered the cameras and took them home. I downloaded both memory cards before watching the video. Just as the second download was finished, my phone rang. Hello? I said. Hey John, it's Steve. I got the results in that blood you gave me the other day. Great, I said, hitting the play button on my computer. Were you able to get a match on any hospital records? Um, not exactly. Why not? I asked as a ghostly green image appeared on my computer. The image was blurred, but it was the size of a man walking upright toward the camera. I clicked on the next slide and froze at what I saw. Well, the blood you gave me came back as reptile DNA. I registered the words he said in my mind, just like I registered the image on my computer screen, but I couldn't place them in reality. Are you there? He said into the phone. Yeah, I'm sorry, I said. Can you send me a copy of your findings to my office? Sure, no problem. Thanks, I appreciate it. You helped me figure this out. Anytime. He chirped before hanging up. I hadn't taken my eyes off the computer screen the entire time. No matter how long I stared at it, I couldn't make my mind acknowledge it was accurate. Standing there, large as life, was not a man in a wetsuit. It was a creature. I could see the wide mouth full of sharp teeth that looked precisely like the bites in that deer. 
I could see the webbed feet that looked like swim fins, and they had claws sticking out from the front where the toes would be. I saw the razor-sharp claws on its webbed hands. It was a full-on nightmare staring at me in the face. I sat back and thought for a long time. Then I printed copies of the images and put them in an envelope. I rushed to the station to share my information with my fellow rangers. As I was showing them, their faces ranged in emotion from shock to disbelief to outright mocking. As I went through my investigation, the timeshare owner walked in. What are we all looking at? He asked, eyeing me contemptuously. It seems like John has solved the case of the break-ins, one of the rangers said. The owner approached. He picked up the lab report and read it, then stared for a long time at the picture. Do you know what this is? He said absently. I don't know yet, I said. I've never seen anything like it. He turned to me and smiled. This is money, he said, holding up a picture. What do you mean, I said. Those idiots that go around hunting, what do they call them, um, cryptids, yeah, cryptids. They'll pay through the nose if they think they can find something like this. And then there's the TV shows and merchandising, he said. You have saved my financial hide, he beamed at me. I don't think you understand, I said. This is a dangerous animal. If you had seen what it did to that deer, so what do you want to do? Hunt it down and kill it? Maybe. Not kill it, tranquilize it, and take it to a secure location where it can't hurt anyone. You dumb son of a bitch, he yelled. I could make a mint. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even have to repair those houses. They would all rush in to investigate and leave piles of cash in my bank account. But what about the people? Who cares about the people? he said. Throw them all out. I've got the chance of a lifetime beating on my door. And you want to flush it all down the toilet because you're scared of someone breaking a nail? He was breathing hard and staring up into my face. The air was charged with fury, his and mine. And then a sudden calm came over him. Charles, he said, addressing the lead ranger. Isn't this a wildlife preserve? Yes, yes it is, Charles said warily. And aren't the wildlife on this preserve protected from all tampering by law? Well, I guess so, Charles said. What if those animals present a threat? I said to Charles. How many deer were killed by a coyotes on this preserve last year? The owner said. Dozens, Charles replied. Were the coyotes removed from the preserve? No, Charles said. The owner turned and shot me a triumphant look. John, Charles said. I know you have everyone's best interest in mind, but you're gonna have to let this go. I glared at him. And what happens when this thing decides it likes to eat humans all of a sudden? All the eyes in the room on me suddenly found somewhere else to look. All but the owner. He was smiling ear to ear like a chubby little freak he was. It honestly looked like he was about to break into some sort of happy dance. I searched the room for any support but found none. I pulled the badge off my shirt, quietly laid it on the desk, and left. If that were the end of my story, I would, I would say I had failed. I took my pension and rented one of the houses on the preserve. The owner had leaked through social media that a cryptid had been spotted on the preserve. As he had guessed, the cryptid hunters and TV crews came in droves, renting everything in sight. My goal was different. I already knew it existed. I learned how it got around without being detected. I stayed at one of the break-in houses. Every night I took a giant tuna I had bought fresh that morning and laid it outside next to the pond. I sat in the dark living room and watched the first night as it approached the fish with more caution than curiosity. After sniffing at it for a long time, it grabbed it and dove for the pond. Each night after, I laid out a fish and the creature became less cautious. It was being fed, and the media frenzy was starving. The hunters had found nothing. There were no sightings as long as I provided it. Everyone had their cameras set up. 
A few who roamed around left me alone, and then they saw someone in the house. I guess they thought I was another cryptid hunter and respected my privacy. As the number of sightings stayed at zero, they started turning on the owner, calling him a fraud. His reputation was plummeting. After a week with no sightings, people began leaving. In desperation, he did the wrong thing. He hired an actor to dress in a creature suit and roam around. Of course, the hunter's show saw right through this and destroyed what was left of his reputation. I rented the house for two weeks. Between the rent and the fish, my money was running out quickly. I had to keep the people safe, but what would happen when I stopped feeding them? I managed to clear most of the people so they would be safe, but what about my fellow rangers? What would happen when it came desperate? When the starving creature no longer had houses full of food to break into? I had three more nights until I had to leave, and then I would be out of money entirely. The preserve had become... The preserve had become a ghost town. As far as I knew, I was the only renter left. It was finally decision time. I sat staring at the giant tuna on the table with a bottle of bleach. Let it live and see what happens or kill it. I thought about this for a long time. Both options had merits and consequences. I chose the third option, a much more dangerous one. I took the fish out, laid it where I usually did, then backed up a few feet and stood there. Over an hour had passed before the water stirred. I saw the head and eyes of the creature appear as it headed toward the fish, and then it stopped. It had seen me. I made sure to keep still with my arms at my side. It slowly approached and stood. It was a few feet away from the fish in between us. It studied me and sniffed the air, then became agitated. Perhaps it had smelled my scent before as a pursuer. It let out a soft hiss, bent down, took the fish, and kept its eyes on me the entire time. Then once it had its meal, it did the most incredible physical display I'd ever seen. It leapt 20 feet into the air and landed perfectly, right in the middle of the pond before leaving no splash and diving away. I let out a breath. I didn't realize I had been holding and collapsed to the ground. I was shaking. Once I had recovered, I went back inside and fell into a fitful sleep. That was the only part of my plan. The next night would decide who lived and who died. I did exactly like the night before, minus the fish. The creature approached, stepped up to me, and looked around for the fish. I showed it my empty hands. It sniffed them and growled. Having smelled the scent of fish, it looked at my hands and I wondered if it would bite them off as a substitute. It hissed at me and hissed at my face. I saw it flexing its claws the whole time. I stared into its face, those massive razor-sharp teeth and swallowed hard. I did all I could do to stay still, to show that I wasn't a threat. My heart hammered in my chest. It opened its jaw and showed me those horrible teeth. Its breath was a horrid stench I had never smelled and hoped to never again. I closed my eyes, not knowing if they would ever open. Seconds fell into minutes and I opened my eyes and was alone. There wasn't even a ripple in the water. I sighed, my decision had been made. I had shown restraint and I would like to do the same. I went back inside, packed and left. I could only hope and pray that the remaining people, including my former co-workers, would be safe. I went home and slept restlessly. In the morning, there was a report in the newspaper on a break-in at the wildlife preserve. The only thing that was taken were cans of tuna fish. I smiled ruefully and wondered how long it would stay that way. If you're reading this, don't go looking for this thing. If you see it, please don't tell others about it. Just leave it alone and hope for the best. Thanks for listening to these creepy, deep woods horror stories. These park rangers are seeing some downright strange things out there in state parks, and I wouldn't want to be one of them, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, please be sure to submit your encounter at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp.
I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here. If you enjoyed tonight's video, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and it helps the channel grow. If you're new, why not subscribe? I upload brand new videos almost every single day in all things natural and supernatural. Are you on the go but still want to listen to your favorite scary stories from the swamp? Well, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Thank you guys so much for supporting the swamp as always. We are very close to hitting 300,000 subscribers and I would love to try to hit that before the end of the year. So if that subscribe button is still red, be sure to karate kick it until it turns gray and be sure to turn on notifications to never miss a new Swamp Dweller episode. I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.